Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. If you like that I'm blessing you with an extra Friday show this week, hit that like button and let's just jump into it. Yo, the first thing we're gonna talk about today starts with a question. For those of you in a relationship, if you went out to a club one night with some friends and then came back home with a big fat red lipstick kiss mark on the back of your shirt, how would your partner react? When I asked my wife, Lindsay, this is what she said. I think I was being pranked. <laughs> Ow! Oh, that hurts my feelings almost. <laughs> Y'all, this question was more than just a hypothetical for the men in this TikTok that went viral. Right, it's from Sam, AKA Little Wank, and in it, you see her friend named Maddie applying lipstick, then kissing unsuspecting men on the back of their shirts, leaving visible stains, with none of the men seeming to notice, and Maddie giving the camera a smile at the end like the devilish fiend she is. Captioning it, Lipstick Bandit was on the loose at PJ's, with the video getting over 50 million views, but now it appears that it's been taken down. But still, that's a lot of views and it was up long enough to stir up quite a controversy. With some finding it funny, but others saying, you know, what about consent? Also worrying about the men whose wives or girlfriends are gonna just see this and what's gonna happen from there. With some leaving comments like, definitely broke up some relationships tonight. Another writing, that's not even funny. Not only for people's relationships, but if that was a male doing that, this would be a whole lot different. That was pointing out, even if the dudes are single, lipstick stains or a pain in the ass to get out of clothes. Plus, after the last two years of COVID, it's not like people need more stress in their relationships. Either because of finances or they've been forced to live apart or maybe even worse, they've been forced to live very, very close together way too soon in their relationship. We all know some people who stayed in relationships during the pandemic for far longer than they probably wanted. But also, random factoid, a dating.com survey from earlier in the pandemic found that 55% of people suspected that they had been cheated on during quarantine. So this TikTok stunt definitely could have pushed people over the edge. And so with this story, the question I wanna ask is, do you think this is funny or it's fucked up? Is it both? Because personally, the, the more that I think about this, Maddie and Sam, I think you may be our douchebags of the day, but I'll, I'll pass that question out to the audience. What are your thoughts? And then, in what feels both equal parts, we Weird and awesome, you have the YouTube creator iDubs organizing the latest creator boxing match. The event will reportedly be called Creator Clash, being held in Tampa, Florida on May 14th. And the matchups feel like they are out of a fever dream. You've got Ryan McGee versus Alex Ernst, Yodeling Haley against Justin Minx, Epic Mealtimes Harley going against Ego Raptor, and easily the weirdest matchup is iDubs is going to fight Dr. Mike, with iDubs releasing a statement saying, these creators want to show respect to boxing while putting on an entertaining show that reflects their personalities. It was really important to us that creators took this experience seriously, and let me tell you, they absolutely have. They've been training for months, and we can't wait to show you what they can bring to the table. And adding, influencer boxing has previously been very money-driven, and our goal is to bring attention back to the sport while delivering fun and interesting personalities for an all-around great show for some great causes. And according to TubeFilter, those causes include the American Heart Association. And I've got to say, iDubs is a man of his word. If you're unfamiliar with the situation, he initially wanted to fight Rice Gum, which would have been amazing, because that guy just needs to get punched in the face. Some would say, not me. I'm saying it. But Ricegum backed out and you had iDubs making it clear that he still very much wanted to fight with whoever. I am so beyond down. I don't care how big and strong they are. I don't care how athletic they are. I don't care how short or tall they are. And that is exactly what he did. Dr. Mike is a very big man who, if you're not familiar with him, actually has boxing experience. But yeah, just from the matchups alone, this is an instant buy for me. But that said, I want to pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts regarding this? Are you, are you over YouTube boxing or are you really enjoying what iDubs is saying here in these specific matchups? And then, y'all, the future is finally here. No, we don't have flying cars, but you can now order a beer solely using the power of your mind. And if you're wondering, what the hell is Phil talking about? Meet this 36-year-old man in Germany who was diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease in 2015. Right, it's the rare disease that progressively shuts down voluntary muscle control, the thing that Stephen Hawking had. Usually the life expectancy after diagnosis is just three to five years, but some live longer, like Hawking who lived with it for 55 years. 
ALS. And well, this guy who was struck with ALS in 2015, he lost control even over his eyes in 2019, making him totally unable to communicate. But before it got that bad, he consented to let Swiss researchers give him an experimental brain implant that would allow him to send messages through a computer. With him given auditory feedback of his own neural activity through a speaker, then adjusting the frequency to generate yes and no responses. With this also allowing him to select letters as they were presented to him. It then took three months of reconfigurations before it finally worked, then another three weeks to actually produce sentences. And I'm not kidding, his first words after months of being locked inside a totally paralyzed body were, I want a beer. And although we didn't find an answer in the reporting, I'm just gonna hope and assume this man got his fucking beer. Especially because even that simple sentence takes so long. Apparently on average, it takes about a minute to type each character. So just asking him for a drink must've taken like 10 to 13 minutes. Also among his first requests, it included playing the band Tool very loud, getting a head massage from his mother and ordering a curry. And understand this is absolutely massive because we didn't even know this was actually possible with senior neuroscientist, Dr. Jonah Zimmerman saying, ours is the first study to achieve communication by someone who has no remaining voluntary movement and hence for whom the BCI brain computer interface is now the sole means of communication. With the scientists behind this now seeking funding to do the same for other ALS patients, though the tech will cost around half a million dollars over the first two years of use. But still, the main point of this story is science is amazing. But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Public, and more specifically, public.com slash DeFranco. Public is an investing platform that helps people be better investors in the public market. And as some of you know, I moved over and fell in love with Public after, uh, let's say I was not too happy with one of their competitors. And you know, with Public, not only do I get all the tools and information that I wanted, Public also has made stock investing social. Stock ownership unlocks content and education that is relevant to your portfolio, created by a million plus strong community of investors, creators, and analysts. And Public puts investors first and doesn't sell trades to market makers. They also don't take money from payment for order flow. And y'all, standard stock trades are commission free. They also offer 29 crypto offerings alongside thousands of stocks and ETFs. So for those of you crypto curious members new to the space, Public added features like educational slides shows and volatility reminders to help educate you along your journey. Plus, y'all, when you go to public.com slash DeFranco, remember that URL, you will receive a slice of stock valued between $3 and $1,000. All you gotta do is open an account and make a deposit. So remember, that's public.com slash DeFranco because you should definitely be investing in your future today. And then let's talk about this tragic situation we're seeing out of Florida where a 14-year-old boy fell to his death after getting thrown off an amusement park ride. Right, so this happened yesterday afternoon at Icon Park in Orlando. Reportedly, the teen had gotten on the park's free fall ride, which opened back in December. Right, it's the type of ride that takes you straight up and then drops you. And notably, Icon Park's ride stands at 430 feet tall, making it the world's tallest freestanding drop tower. And from video captured that I'm not gonna show you, the teen appears to fall off midway down. And according to police, this fall did not immediately kill the boy now identified as Tyree Sampson. Instead, he later died at the hospital. And so now, of course, the park has indefinitely closed the ride as it investigates what happened. Executives saying their heart goes out to Tyree's family, but the park has also claimed that the boy was secured in a safety harness as the ride began. However, footage from before the ride began is pretty concerning because it appears to show riders and staff discussing whether people were actually strapped in. Why does this have like the little click click? Like the seatbelt. Yeah. Hey, you take your seatbelt on the left side. Seatbelt. No. Seatbelt. Though to be clear, we need to wait and see how this plays out if there is some sort of negligence involved and discovered. Reportedly, Florida's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services are also already looking into whether there were issues with the ride itself. But there's also another part of this story that I want to talk about, and that's because a lot of people first heard about this story through seeing the video of Tyree falling. It's gone pretty viral online, which is why we've seen a lot of people now saying things like, to the people sharing the video of the 14-year-old dying on the drop tower at Icon Park, you are a truly vile piece of shit human. Fuck you, 
seriously, fuck you, have some sympathy, the kid has a fucking family. With many asking people to report the video if they spot it online, though you've also seen people having a counter-argument to that, saying I know it's sensitive to the family, but people need to see the video. If not for the video, big corporations get away with saying stuff. This video proves something went wrong with the ride, and the correct lawsuits can be filed with evidence to support. But where I'll end this story is just to say my thoughts and well wishes to, to the family and those affected. This is horrible. No one should have to go through this unimaginable pain. And then, let's talk about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife, Virginia Thomas. Because you have alarm bells ringing, questions coming up after Virginia Thomas recently revealed that she attended a pro-Trump rally that preceded the January 6th insurrection. And making matters worse, it's now being reported that she sent at least 29 texts to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows about the 2020 election and pushing him to help Trump overturn the election, writing things like, help this great president stand firm, Mark. You are the leader with him who is standing for America's constitutional governance at the precipice. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. Also sending things like, sounds like Sidney Powell and her team are getting inundated with evidence of fraud, make a plan, release the Kraken and save us from the left taking America down. Right, so it appears that she was very far into the conspiracy theory that the election was stolen as she was unironically saying release the Kraken, even calling the election a coup. Now, that said, the committee investigating January 6th only has one message from January itself, four days after the insurrection, where Thomas wrote, we are living through what feels like the end of America. Most of us are disgusted with the VP and are in a listening mode to see where to fight with our teams. Those who attack the Capitol are not representative of our great teams of patriots for DJT. Amazing times, the end of liberty. However, Meadows had stopped cooperating with committee shortly after sending over these texts, and it's expected that there are many more, possibly from Thomas, related to the event. Now, to be clear, this isn't the only time Thomas has been involved in political activism. She's actually a well-known conservative activist and has been involved in a lot of other projects. But this, on top of her past activism, is bringing up questions about a potential conflict of interest for her husband in certain cases. Right, she doesn't think there are any issues recently saying in an interview that, quote, we have our own separate careers and our own ideas and opinions too. Clarence doesn't discuss his work with me and I don't involve him in my work. However, it's a really fucking weird look when the Supreme Court is looking at things like whether or not the committee could release thousands of documents from the Trump White House and Clarence Thomas is the only justice who sided with the president, right? Is it because he's the only justice that seemed to have a partner that could be negatively affected by the release of those documents? And all of this has led to calls from some on the left for Justice Thomas to resign or be impeached. However, understand, it is very unlikely that will ever happen. Impeachments in the US are very rare, and impeaching a justice is even rarer. Like, it's literally only happened once, and that was back in 1805. Right, just like with the last presidential impeachments, the House impeaches and the Senate acquits because there's no way House prosecutors could convince two-thirds of the Senate to remove Thomas. But still, you look at this situation, and for a lot of people, there's way too much smoke for there not to be a fucking fire. And then, even though we're six years removed from the complete clusterfuck that was the 2016 presidential election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, we cannot escape it. With Trump on Thursday filing a massive 108-page federal lawsuit against Clinton, the Democratic National Committee, James Comey, Christopher Steele, and 24 other entities and people. With a lawsuit claiming that they all attempted to undermine Trump's campaign by falsely claiming he had ties to Russia. And according to Trump's lawsuit, all of the defendants engaged in what amounts to a deep state conspiracy against Trump and that, quote, under the guise of opposition research, data analytics, and other political stratagems, the defendants nefariously sought to sway the public's trust. They worked together with a single self-serving purpose to vilify Donald J. Trump. Also claiming that the defendants engaged in a litany of federal offenses, including racketeering, fraud, and theft that all amounted to more than $24 million in costs and damages. Now, with all that said, it is no secret that the Clinton campaign did conduct opposition research, which is completely normal. It's also true they took some of that research to the FBI after it was revealed that Trump, or at least many of those surrounding him, had extensive ties to Russia. But that is about the end of where some grand pro-Clinton conspiracy ends, though Trump thinks otherwise. Or at least is saying otherwise. Or there wasn't a giant group at the FBI of pro-Clinton loyalists attacking Trump. To date, only one FBI agent has 
really gotten in any trouble for anything related to Trump. With Kevin Kleinsmith, a low-level FBI lawyer, pleading guilty to altering an email in order to secure a surveillance warrant against a Trump campaign aide that had verifiable and extensive relations with Russian agents. So that's why this is pretty widely believed to be nothing more than a political stunt. Or because proving that all these allegations are true and then they actually hurt his chances of winning the presidency is already hard, not to mention he actually ended up winning. So you have experts saying it's, it's pretty hard to stand in front of a judge and argue, no, your honor, we would have won more. But Trump wasn't the only lawsuit filed against many of the same people. Former Trump presidential campaign advisor Carter Page has also been fighting against some of the same defendants with his own lawsuit for over a year. However, his was far more narrow, instead focusing on those who possibly violated his privacy rights when he was surveilled by the FBI. But yeah, ultimately with this story, and really weak, I feel like treat this as your reintroduction to Trump uh, being in the news again, because it's going to happen more and more and more as we get past 2022 and go into 2024. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, liking, being a part of the DeFranco Nation. I love yo faces, and I'll see you next time.